0: You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us today as we jump into our series on the book of Acts. We'll see the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the followers of Jesus through obstacles, growth, miracles, and joy. The book of Acts is not only the story of those early disciples, it's our story too. A story to be continued. So get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? Do you love him? So enjoyed being in this Book of Acts series that we've been in, and the story, the raw story of the New Testament church and all the impact of society around it. It really lays over nicely what we're walking through in 2022 as a church. And I'm so excited that God is on the move in each and every generation at this church. Our youth camp just recently, uh, a week ago or so, man, our teenagers gathered from all of our locations and they... Worship God they played hard outside uh uh, played isn't quite the right word for teenagers uh they 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 just they they went all out there's competition I'm I'm assuming there are a few band-aids during the competition that came out but then the the worship and the altars and kids dedicating their lives to Christ aren't you glad the next generation Jesus is meeting with our kids I'm just so excited about what God is doing yeah put your hands together that's something to be thankful for, continue to pray for what God does. And then just this weekend, uh, Emmanuel, we did our serve day, and uh, we were able to get out and serve our communities around our locations and and to care for the community that is around us. Now, obviously, we want to do that 365 days a year, but we spend one day a year where we just talk about it. We kind of pull our efforts together, and then we say, hey, let's, let's make a difference in the community and around us in a tangible, practical way. And I'm so proud of all the volunteers, all the people that showed up. Would you give it up for all the Serve Day people in our church that spent time? I appreciate it. Thank you for doing that. Um, really, that's the heartbeat of our church, and uh, I'm really grateful for it. Uh, before I go into my message today, I want to I read something to you that um, will be going out later on in the day to all of our, our uh, Emanuel mailing list on the email side of things, and so you might want to check your email boxes later. Um, since 1963, Emmanuel is a church family with deeply held beliefs and morals, and values that are rooted in the scripture and an understanding that we are responsible to fulfill Jesus' mission. We're called to care for people at every stage of life, from conception through the final breath. And we believe that every human being, before and after birth, has value and is created in the image of God. And we must seek to help individuals and families experience the life and the hope of that Jesus offers, can I get an amen to that? Now the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade this week is a significant moment, and we can celebrate the protection of unborn children and the answer to prayers we've offered for decades. But now we have a responsibility to continue our dedication to serve the real people in our cities to foster a holistic life perspective that is proactive in caring for the needs of women and men who are faced with dire circumstances. Jeremiah says this, God says through Jeremiah, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for the city, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 7. For decades, we have prayed as a church, served. We've mourned with those who mourn, sacrificed with the communities that we exist within. And we partner with the organizations that are mobilized to minister and counsel and practice provide practical help to individuals and families in times of crisis and turmoil. And this includes the active support of health care, foster care, adoption, and family services before and beyond the point of birth. We will strive to continue to do our best in this. And we know, listen to me, we know that the current politically charged and angry environment that envelops our society makes it difficult to love your neighbor. But Jesus tells us to do it anyway. And as a church, we must love, we must listen to, and serve the cities that God has raised Emmanuel within. We will pray, we will love, and we will hope. Can I get an amen to that church? I have to tell you that in the middle of, on Friday, when the Roe v. Wade uh, thing came out, uh, I was on a complete Sabbath. So I stayed off of social media, Uh, I have learned to practice, I need to shut it down. And I need to let the Lord minister to me. So I resisted the urge to leap into conversations because I wanted to hear from the Lord first. And then yesterday, I watched as people all over America, all over society, and all over within our church, even in generations, approaching what happened from a different lens. And I recognize that the enemy's number one desire is still to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy unity, he wants to sow seeds of discord, and he wants to drive us away from the word of God as our balance for all of life. And let me just say this to you, we need to love and listen to each other. We need to recognize that there's a spiritual battle taking place right from the very beginning in Genesis. We see there that when, when there was sin, God pronounced a prophecy over what would happen in the future with Eve and her children. That the enemy would be going at her children. And the enemy has been going after babies in the womb. And going after families and destroying people after they're born as well. And the pressures and the political side of things is one thing, but real life is another. Within our churches, and I'm not just saying within Emmanuel, but within our churches historically, we've handled pregnancy and unwed pregnancy through different means. Some of it has not been biblical. Some of it has not been treating women as we should. Some of it has excused uh, behavior of men. And if we follow the Bible and its ethical principles and we leave sex for marriage— then abortion doesn't have to become a form of contraception. But in society, it's kind of woven its way into the church. And I would just say this to you, church. We need to say, oh God, thank you for answered prayer. We still got some battles ahead of us. Minnesota still has it legal. There's still things going on there. And there are people in our church that are presently dealing with pain. Pain either from what they're dealing with and the, the current situations of their life, or pain from their history, and any time something like this is brought up, it's used by, as a weapon by the enemy to hurt them and pull them away from the body, and we cannot let that happen in this church. We need to turn our hearts to the Lord and love our neighbor as Jesus has called us to. Can I get an Amen. Would you stand with me, church, in each of our locations in Lakeville and Elk River, Maple Grove and Spring Lake Park, and if you're at home with us today, you can stand as well, right where you're at. I want to call us to pray, and then I'm going to go ahead and go into our sermon for for the day. Can you just lift up your holy hands in prayer as the scripture says? Father, we come before you. And Lord, um, we're not going to be like those people that, Lord, don't say thank you, but Lord, we say thank you for answered prayer. We thank you, God, that you have answered prayer that you care for people, the vulnerable, you care for them, the babies that have no voice, you care for them, and you care for their mothers, and you care for the fathers, and you care for the church, and you care for the broken, and you care for our city, and you care for, Lord, those things, Lord, that the enemy is attempting to destroy, both in human life and in relationship. And Lord, there are times when we don't know what to do, so we open up our voice, our mouths, and we cry out to you, O God, heal our land, do what only you can do. And we ask, oh God, that Lord, that the present tense power of God would be known in your church, just as it is in the book of Acts that we're studying now. We pray God for a fresh infusion of the power and the wisdom and the insight of heaven in our lives and in our relationships. We pray that it would pass between generations that view this through different lenses, and that we have the capacity of oh God to see your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day we release our cares and our concerns to you in Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. 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 You may be seated. (laughs) Thank you for being gracious to me, church. In times and that are somewhat tense, and things are going on, and opinions are floating. It is really hard to be a pastor. I'll just be honest. It's not always easy to, to, you know. It's like landmine of avoidance. You know, there's landmines everywhere, and that's why I want to go right back to the word. Because I don't have to worry about stepping on landmines when we're preaching from the Word. Amen? Uh, today's title of the message is this, What's Your Story? Turn to the person next to you and say, what's your story? You know, much of life is a mixture of, of narratives, of story. When we tell our stories about who we are, we go back and we pull highlights and we tell people, oh, this is who I I was. This is how I met my spouse. This is where I was when I went to school. and We tell highlights. We pull from a, a, a highlight film, if you will, into our current narrative, and we, we share the story of who we are. Uh, earlier on in life, I can recall a time when me and my friends, we would go to malls because we had no money when I was in high school. and. Uh, <laughs> How many of you know, you sometimes you just find any place you can go. We'd go to the mall, because there was people in the mall, and we would, we would look at the people, and we would make up stories about them. We're like, I wonder who they are, that couple over there, and he looks really like he's mad at her or something, he's got a frown on his face, That that guy over there, he looks like he's really rich, I'll bet you he owns a company, and that company's been around for 10 years, and he's got 73 employees. And, you know, we, we would look at people and make up a narrative. You, you know, we do that with ourselves, and we do that and we project stories on others. We assume things about other people. This is what happens as we look at Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six moves into Acts chapter seven. Last week, uh, Pastor Darren talked about an amazing message on unity. And how the church had come together. And, and they had to make deci- decisions based on unity. They appointed different people to be in positions that were very important uh, for the church to function and be who the church had happened to be. But then some of the, some of the people in, in, uh, that got the new assignments went out there and they started preaching the gospel. And they started serving people. One of those people was a guy named Stephen. Stephen... Saw signs and wonders and people were coming to faith in Jesus. And as they did, there were others that didn't like it. So they started making up stories about Stephen. They started saying this is his story. And Stephen is this leader who believes in Jesus, preaches Jesus, but haters turned him into the religious Police. How many know haters are going to hate? They're going to put you on blast. They're going to create a story about you without knowing you. They're going to create things. They're going to assume certain things. If you are this, you go to this church. If you hang out with this people group of people, if you, if you vote this way, then this is what, what it means about your whole life. The narrative about who you are. This is what happens to Stephen. In verse 13 It says, the lying witnesses said, because he essentially is brought before the court, he's on trial. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. There's liars telling stories about Stephen. So Stephen is brought before the council, and he's essentially on trial. And it says this in chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. And God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. And then God brought him here to the land where you now live. Now you're going to see a huge, long sermon that follows. But Stephen's answer wasn't defensive about the lie or about himself. His answer pointed back to the word. I want you to hear me, church. He didn't get defensive about the accusations of others about his name. He was being put on blast. Haters, gonna hate. But his response was not to go, you're wrong. They're they're lying about me, fact check. No, 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 he went back to the word. And when the conversations around you are tempting you to leave the truth, to defend yourself, you are in danger. Stick to the truth. I have a, a graphic up here of, um, of uh, the responses we have and the experiences we go through in life. The things we can't control are on the outside of this circle. What we can't control is what others say about us, what others do. The, the, we can't change our past experiences or other people's mistakes, Eternal situation, external situations and what happens around us, other people's ideas, having all the answers, other people's feelings, what others think. Those are all things we can't do anything about. But how much time do we spend on it? By the way, we have this graphic in our Emmanuel MN app if you want to have it later on. But what can we control? Look at the center, it says this. Our words, our choices, what we read, forgiving others, our routine, what we do, our our self-care, our actions, our evaluation of our priorities, and what we say to ourselves. Those are all things that we can control. Stephen is in a place that you and I often are in. It could be in a conflict with somebody else. They're saying things about you. And often people will attribute motive to you that's not your motive, right? This is what they're trying to do. But you can't control what they're saying. And if you try to win an argument, you might lose the war. But what can you control? You can control what's going on on the inside of you. Stephen responds to accusations by embedding his present story in the bigger story of the Bible. You might say this about me, but let me tell you what's going on in the Word. I'm a part of a much larger story, and he compares the present haters with the people in the Old Testament who reject God's authority and instructions. The leaders get angry as a result. He points it out. And he relies on the Holy Spirit as they get angry. Look at verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Listen, no matter the level of hate you face, rely on the Holy Spirit and look for Jesus. No matter, don't worry about it. I think we take other people's offenses sometimes. Somebody says something and you're, you're not really offended personally, but you know it might offend somebody else. So you take on their offense for yourself. But what if you instead, in the middle of whatever is going on, you said, Fill me with your spirit, Lord, and you look to Jesus. That's what Stephen did. And then the anger level went up, and the people went into a murderous rage. It escalated. Verse 57. And then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned him. And Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. As he was being stoned, they're throwing stones at him. And by the way, they're not little pebbles that you you skip on the water. These are the, the big rocks, the stones that kill people, and they're dropped on him. Stephen prayed, and he refused to end with hate. Friends, don't end your story with hate. Don't end it. Don't let that be the thing that comes out of you. Shirley Denny's used to say, the founder of our church pastor and Shirley surely, Shirley would say, you find out what's in the cup when it gets tipped over. Let's make sure that we don't have hatred growing in our hearts, especially towards our haters. Just like Jesus, he begins to plead, Stephen does, for his murderers. And one of the greatest characteristics of Jesus' followers is we forgive our haters. I can almost hear how quiet it is in Lakeville right now, or Elk River, or Maple Grove, because this is the stuff we don't know how to do without Jesus. But with Jesus, because we follow Jesus, because Jesus' spirit is in us, we can become like Jesus. Jesus. You're like, I have no idea how to forgive somebody that hurt me. That's why right now we're going to start a brand new online study beginning next week, if you're interested, on a book called Total Forgiveness. We have books that are available in our lobbies, and you're going to be able to sign up online if you want. But if you want to go on that journey of forgiveness, I encourage you to do it. You can have power over your yesterdays. It doesn't have to own your future any longer. And Stephen was able to forgive. Before we move on, I want you to notice in the text that there's a young man that oversees the persecution. His name was Saul. He's standing there. And one of the the things about Saul is he later on becomes a guy named we call Paul. But he's not so virtuous at this point in our eyes or the author of the book of Acts eyes. No, Luke, the author, is laying the breadcrumbs for a future episode. And Saul is going to be a major figure for the rest of the book of Acts. And Saul is going to lead a massive wave of persecution against the church. Chapter eight, verse one. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles who were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Hey, this is like rated R right now. For violence. This is the real life story going on where Saul is going after people and dragging them out of houses. He hated Christians and thought that he was doing the right thing. He thought he was serving the right cause. And he viewed Christ's followers as the enemy of God. Later on in Saul's life when he became Paul and he wrote letters of the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, this is what Paul said. He said, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He believed that he was doing something so strongly that he viewed himself as doing God's work. This is insane, you guys. In modern times, people hold their views at incredible levels of belief. If you see someone who is on the wrong side of an issue, you may want to tell them off and become a hater yourself. But remember, there is another person writing a story even when you don't see it. See, God is a master weaver. He takes everything and weaves it together for the good. Come on, somebody. You see one thing, but God has a different perspective than you do. You know, one of the kind of gold nuggets of this, that God was up to something, is hidden in that. When it says, all the believers except the apostles were scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And you're almost saying, well, no, they're scattered. This is a horrible moment. No, no, go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight. And he will give you the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know what? The enemy is pushing persecution on the church. So the church goes where the spirit is leading them. Persecution grew the church. It didn't shut it down. Come on, somebody. Just when you think it's getting darkest, It's actually the brightest. God is up to something. Come on, somebody. He's not done. He's got a whole nother pen in his hand. He's writing a story we don't know about yet. And God will use supernatural means to send the gospel anywhere. In fact, in the rest of of chapter eight, you'll see a story of a guy named Philip. Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch on the road he's translated he's moved this is like star trek stuff by the way and he leads this ethiopian eunuch to jesus this is powerful and by the way the ethiopian church is probably the oldest ongoing church in the, in the world that gospel that was preached all those years ago Still bearing fruit. I love how God moves inside the church, but he also moves all around the world. God is on the move around the world. That's why we love partnering with our kingdom builder partners. God is moving everywhere. We've got to believe that. We've got to stay connected to that. We won't get the supernatural if we're not plugged into the mission of God. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 turns the story of Saul's life. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the, in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, let me stop there. See, Saul is on a mission that he thinks is right. He gets permission to send the FBI. The courts are backing him up. He's asking people to snitch on their neighbors and on his way to another city the city called Damascus, which is a real city in Syria, by the way, today, if you look it up on Google, Google Maps. On the way, this is where Saul is interrupted by Jesus. You know, when you look at the people in your life, and it could be like, there's no way they're ever gonna follow Jesus. You have in your head, there's no way that they'll ever turn around, there's no way. I'm just telling you, look at Saul's life. Look at what he was doing. He literally was murdering Christians. And God has a plan to use a murderer and turn him into a preacher. Now, that's not really easy if your family member is one of those people that was murdered. Right? But how many know Jesus has a way where there is no way? He was interrupted. It says as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus had had enough. He put a stop sign up. Let me tell you this, when you experience pain and suffering, there is a moment that Jesus steps in and says that's enough. There is a moment that he steps in. Sometimes it's not the way we want him to do it. But he does throw a stop sign up and he said, that's enough. And he does this with Saul. He's done with Saul leading the charge to murder Christians. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He informs Saul that his actions were not against those people, but against Jesus himself. You know, when you see evil all around, that evil is perpetrated against Jesus, and he takes it personally. And for every time that you've hated on, cussed at, accused, it ain't about you, they're after Jesus. Don't worry about losing your rights. Focus in on Jesus and his mission. Who are you, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So he com- his companions led him by the hand of Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat. Or drink Saul was blind he was blinded God shut him down and he was led to Damascus he was no longer in charge of anything he was powerless he didn't eat or drink for three days listen transformation is a process we think it's an event but it's most often a process discipleship is a process How many know, if if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you still got more to learn, to grow through. We see here a process in play. And meanwhile, there's a believer named Ananias in town, and the Lord speaks to Ananias and tells him to go and take care of him. This was a scary thought for Ananias. Jesus says, don't worry, I've given Saul a vision of you. Now, this is a powerful passage. Because if you're Ananias and you know that Saul's murdering people, you think, I'm no, in no way going to go visit that guy. But that's exactly what the Lord leads Ananias to do. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take a message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized, and afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. God is up to something. He's writing a larger narrative than our bias, bigger than our fears, beyond our boxes we put people in. God has a purpose for your greatest enemy, the person on the opposite side of every argument. I want you to consider this. God has a purpose for your biggest enemy. What? You didn't expect me to preach this way today at church, did you? No, because I want you to be embedded in the biblical way of thinking. This is how the church works. We listen to Jesus. We follow his word. If we parrot the arguments of someone else, then we leave the mission. and We leave the opportunity for God's miracles in other people's lives. We're in a moment of history that seems to put large swaths of society against each other. We get our talking points from people that help us nicely put the other group in categories. We have nicknames for them. We call them certain things as if we know their entire narrative. How many nicknames do you have in your lexicon for people who you don't agree with? What story have you made up or received about them? What if God asked you to go visit them and be a part of their miracle? Many of our conversations will be intergenerational, or they need to be intergenerational. As a house of prayer for all nations and many generations in Emmanuel, we've got all generations. And each generation kind of has their own filter that they look at life through. We got a whole generation that didn't go through the experiences of the previous generation. And then we watch and listen to their uh, responses to life events and things like even uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And we look at those things and we go, man, how could they think that? Don't they know? Now there's a whole lot wrapped up in that. But if our very next step is to call them out or talk down to them, but not listen to them and join them and have a conversation, we are part of the problem, not a part of the solution. But you don't understand? They're calling me names. Talk to Stephen about that. You don't understand. They're, they're, they're saying this about Christians. You don't have to defend yourself, church. You just be the, you don't have to defend somebody else's actions. You just be Jesus to the people that are around you. What would Jesus do in the conversation? That's how you walk. Mm. I think there needs to be time, and by the way, the entrance to a conversation, a true conversation, is listening, not speaking. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Too many times we get that flip-flop. And if we join a conversation and we know the word and we get in the conversation with somebody and we value the individual that we're talking with or listening to, then we create a bridge towards the way, the truth, and the life. Listening to each other is vital. Ask, why do you feel this way? How do you come to believe this? See, listening to others creates a path for others to ask you your why. First Peter chapter three, the apostle says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ As Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer. Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you. They will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. Because you belong to Christ. Remember it is better to suffer for doing good. If that is what God wants. Than to suffer For doing wrong. The church in the book of Acts is growing and maturing. The power of the Holy Spirit is with them. They could move forward, and so can we, despite the haters. What's your story about you, and what's the story about them? We need to add some people to our prayer list. Come on, somebody to pray for your enemies, not talk about them, to get ready for visions to break out. I am one of those people that's a crazy optimist that God's kingdom works in the most difficult of times. I just believe that by faith we can do this, that we don't have to act like we're in a war with people. No, the battle we face is in the heavenlies. And we have to learn to fight God's way, to see things the way God sees them. And when we can't see it, we need to call out to him and say, God, help open my eyes. Help me not to be a closed person. Help me to be open to becoming an Ananias. I am praying that God would call our church to be a church full of Ananiases who are going out about our business, following Jesus, doing the right thing and God begins to speak to us about reaching across the fence and talking to somebody else. Even though we have fear, perhaps God is also doing a miracle on the other side. Perhaps there's souls in our story. There are people in our society. Then Jesus is coming back soon and he's really interested in seeing their lives transformed so they can have an eternal life with him. And so he's going to speak to his witnesses, to his church. Listen, getting filled with the Spirit is not just about getting chills down your back. It's not just about watching the miraculous. It's about the mission of God, reaching people who are away from God. He cares about the lost. He cares about the world. He cares about the haters. And he wants to use his church to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Minneapolis, in St. Paul, in Minnesota, all around the world. Come on, somebody. Would you stand with me on all of our locations today? (laughs) Hallelujah. I pray, Lord, just help me get everything in that you want to get in today, covering the text, going back to the Word, just saying... There's things we don't know for sure, and there's things we do know for sure. And for everything, this is the moment of every message, by the way. This is the application moment. I talk about this with our our sermon prep teams and people that preach, that hey, listen, don't do all your your preparation about the text and what what you're preaching through. Really, application is the most important thing. Because if you don't hit save after you just wrote a paper, how many know it's lost? And if God begins to work on you in the middle of a service and he speaks to you about different things, whether you like me or not, whether you wish I would have said something different or not, but the Spirit of God is speaking to you, this is the moment where you hit save. This is the moment where you say, God, let that be active in my life. This is the moment where maybe you feel you got a gap between where you are and where you want to be, and that's when you say, God, help me. And this is also where God enters the equation, and he hears you saying, God, help me, and he begins to help you. Just a few years ago, one of our albums at Emmanuel, there was a song that we sang that I asked for this morning. And in the words it talks about, open up our eyes to see what you see. Send revival. Church, may God send revival in our church and into the world around our church, amen. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into song, and we're going to sing, and then you're going to hit enter. Why don't you lift up your hands to heaven right now with me. Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, that you are not distant, that you are close, and that, Lord, you said that you would lean in and listen, that you actually have ears to hear of the cries of your people. So we call out to you, and we say, oh, God, open our eyes to see what you see. Give us a a glimpse of the grander picture, the narrative that you're writing. Lord, we're not insignificant in this moment. We are important in your story. We yield ourselves to the grand weaver of all stories. Take everything that we've gone through and weave it together for the good. And we pray, oh God, awaken, awaken your church to be used of you, to be Ananias, to be called of God, to be the witnesses on the earth. And I pray, oh God, that you would stir the people outside the walls of the church, that they would have visions of you, that you would speak to the lost, that you would speak to the enemies of God, and that, Lord, you would turn their stories around. We call out to you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.